0: Hi, good evening, guys. How are you doing? It's Kevin Finkel here. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Magic the Final Frontier. As always, we'll be discussing the Frontier format, keeping our listeners up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier.
1: And I'm
2: Kevin Hamlonye, a Frontier Grinder on the internet. Uh, And I'm Matt Murday, Spike and Frontier Lover out of Toronto, Ontario.
0: All right, so for tonight's episode, what we wanted to discuss is we were going to bring up some archetypes that aren't played that much in Frontier, either. There's something that we think is powerful, but we just don't see very much play on it. And we're kind of going to discuss why, why we think it's not being played, why we think it should be played more, and kind of, you know, go back and forth, keep it pretty casual this week. How's that sound, you guys?
2: Sounds good, yeah. I think one of the things I want to talk about is kind of just explore some of the archetypes that need more exploring, right?
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: So how are you guys doing this week?
0: really good i'm good i'm good thank you for keeping us casual reminding us to actually care about each other
1: yeah you know i just like i look forward to talking to you guys every week so you know just kind of expressing that and being a real person for a little bit
0: yeah it's been a busy one for me haven't gotten to actually play much magic because everything's been uh so busy and you know all these spoilers coming out i'm waiting to see where uh you know i want to start doing some brewing soon
1: i'm super excited uh, there's a lot of really powerful stuff coming out. I'm kind of stoked.
2: A lot of really powerful stuff.
1: <laughs> I you've got to I, understand, I play multiple formats, so <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of really powerful stuff coming
0: out. Hey, at least this time, all of the jank EDH rares are at Uncommon.
1: So- <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
0: Um, all right, but but Matt, we're gonna have a whole episode for you to uh, trash talk. All of the cards that we like, so we'll, we'll have that probably in a couple of weeks.
1: Yes, yeah, save it.
0: Uh, anyway, anyways, I think we each pick before this episode one to two archetypes that we really want to talk about. Before
2: before um, we get there, actually, I do have some news because we've been we've been following my job search, and it finally ended. Nice. And hey, I got a pretty good offer too, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, my first actually official real person job. So,
0: real
1: person. I I knew you were a real person all along. Yeah, but
2: now, but now my bank account knows too. <laughs>
1: I've uh I've been getting job offers recently. Um, my boss got promoted, and um, I didn't realize how well I've been performing at my work. So, like I've I've had like other people kind of hitting me up for working for him. So I'm kind of excited to just see where things go right now. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. That's
0: great. If you want to start by promoting something else, why don't we jump into our discussion for this week? Sure. Sure. So that was a lead in. If you want to start us off, Kevin. Oh,
1: okay. Sure. (laughs) Um, so I wanted to talk about an archetype
0: that was really, really
1: powerful and standard, uh, right before Kaladesh came out and, um, actually had cards banned out of it in the first rounds of bannings ever. Um, And then you just stopped hearing about it for a really long time. Um, It started in in blue-white. Yes, exactly. Blue-white Flash. So um, at the same time, like, while that deck was really popular, we had a deck in Frontier, and I don't know if you guys remember it. It's called uh, Teamer Flash. And it had... Hmm um like bounding krasis and the eldrazi that gives something hex proof when it enters the battlefield it's like a two four Uh, void grafter void grafter yeah um and it was one of the first decks to do dig gear hulk dig um so it it kind of like became like the first way that i experienced that if you will because like at at the time like the control decks that people were playing were really janky like esper dragons and stuff like that like grixis dragons so um
0: or it was four color control probably yeah
1: yeah uh dark jess guy was another one yeah Mm -hmm. um so uh i i think it's a super powerful archetype just being able to play creatures at instant speed kind of gives The element of surprise to your opponent in a way where they think that you're playing a control deck for a while and then all of a sudden you're dropping beats. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I experimented a lot with Flash back uh, before I started playing real decks and mm-hmm. like every now and then I kind of bust out this Bant flash that I've been Bant flash deck that I've been kicking around and like, it always feels, and I know that this is kind of like a cop out for whether a deck is actually viable, but it always feels really powerful and like, is actually doing things that are relevant and creating board state and like are coherent to like an end game and things like that. So I think Spellqueller is underplayed, and that's kind of like the the card that I'm like pointing at. Is like this is something that people should play more. If if Spellqueller in Esper vehicles was enough to take it through an entire league, um, like I I really think that it's it's worth exploring a bit more.
0: So, what colors are you imagining this deck in?
1: Definitely blue. Like, you can't have Flash without blue, right? Mm -hmm. And then one of either red or white. And then, if not both, and then sometimes green. Like, anything within those four colors, I think, is really, really good in Flash. I think that the black Flash creatures that we've gotten kind of depend on you having, like, a very specific kind of board state that we don't really have a way to build yet. Like
0: yeah, those don't excite me too much. I don't think. Yeah, some of the ones that like get a plus one, plus one counter for each creature that died this turn. Right, or, exactly. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. um, there's one that is an Eldrazi that allows you to exile cards from a graveyard to counter a spell. Um,
0: yes. Um, ooh, you're gonna get me on this one. I know somebody who played it in I think the Cockatrice League and had some su- success, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of the it's one of the drones. No, not drones. The other kind, uh, processors. It's an Eldrazi it's... processor, and uh, yeah. So I'm I'm not too too impressed with uh, black. Is is the point in flash?
0: Okay, yeah. So we can write off black a little bit now. I definitely see the tough decision between you were talking Teemer originally, and then you were kind of saying, well, you want Spellqueller doesn't quite fit in Teemer, but it doesn't This isn't a uh, this isn't a Coco deck, right? I don't
1: I don't know if it's a Coco deck. I think it's a cocoa deck with some top end. I definitely think it's a Gear Hulk deck. Like hmm. um, if you've been playing standard at all recently, you know that uh, torrential gear hulk is in the best mid-range deck in that um, in that format. Okay. And it like allows that grixis energy deck to shift gears and play more reactively, and it gives it a lot of, um, how do I put this? Um, versatility. Some longevity. Right.
0: Okay. Versatility. That
1: and longevity sense. as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that Torrential Gear Hulk is kind of underexplored in general. Like, people look at it and mm-hmm. say, that's a control card in the same way that they look at, I don't know, we'll say they look at tireless tracker and say that's a mid-range card, right? Okay. So,
0: yeah. Whereas he can be somewhat aggressive sometimes.
1: Yeah, totally. Like, you can can have a really aggressive start with a tireless tracker and, like, Mm -hmm. be swinging for five on turn four. So, like... It's it's pretty impressive as a mid range creature, but it's also fine in the early game as well, and it's not a body that you mind. So, and it powers up uh, Thalia's lieutenants and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Torrential Gear is worth exploring. I think that a severely underplayed card in our format, um, for kind of obvious reasons, is Archangel Avisen. Unfortunately, she does die to um, she does die to languish. Which is unfortunate because you want to be able to play a card that gives all your creatures indestructible in response to a board wipe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the card actually practically says, like, play me in response to a board wipe on it. And, like, the most popular board wipe in our format gets past her ability. So, mm-hmm. um it's curious, she's in an awkward spot, and I think that like, if we saw something replace Languish at any point as the de facto board wipe, that Avison would be really, really good. But I think she's a super powerful flash creature. Um, and I also think that this is a Smuggler's Copter deck.
0: Okay, definitely,
2: I can see that. All yeah. right, so you're saying to me, <laughs> Torrential Gearhulk, Smuggler's mm-hmm. Copter, dig through time and Coco. That's not Coco. I'm no, not Cocoa. I was going Cocoa. a little differently.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Coco with Torrential Gear Hulk seems a little bit ambitious. Um, little bit. Yeah.
2: So um, I want to know, what are you getting out of green, and what are you getting out of red, as far as, like, that, that kind of fits your theme?
1: So uh, when I was playing green in the archetype, um, I had early drops in Thraven Inspector and Lambhold Pacifist. And one of the cool things about Lambhole Pacifist was that it allowed you to play a creature on turn one or two and then kind of Delver style, just leave up your mana afterward. Um, could be a Queller, could be a Negate you were holding up, you could just be um, holding back like your Mocha's commands and stuff like that. Um, but it allowed you to play a game where you prevented your opponent from winning um, while you beat them down with a 4-4. So,
0: that seems powerful. Kind of similar to what we saw out of the Esper Vehicles deck. Yeah, that is interesting.
1: It was really, really cool. Like when I say like feeling powerful, like and like actually having a cogent strategy. It's like, oh, well, all my creatures after turn two have flash, so mm-hmm. like I don't have to worry about playing them in the same turn that I'm attacking. So like. It was really cool. I could be reactive, and then also um, getting bounding crisis was really good at the time, just because a lot of the um, decks were going tall. So in a metagame like ours right now, where like finishers like the Scarab God are often going to be the only other creature on the battlefield, you can just play a bounding crisis on their end step, tap it, and then attack with a whole bunch of, of like dorks. So, you know, um, I I think that. If there was a time to start playing flash again, it would be in a control heavy meta like this because the spots where I felt like it was less powerful were when Atarka Red was the most powerful deck in the format. Or sorry so really not what you're powerful but popular. In
0: general even going beyond the the flash portion of it what you're talking about is tempo decks we don't see enough tempo decks in frontier i
1: definitely like think about. that tempo is underexplored in general just because a lot of people mm-hmm. don't understand how it's supposed to work and play it like it's a mid-range deck which is really right, weird yes. um but there's a serious really want to
0: getting that aggressive start something like you're saying the uh, have a three three that just starts swinging in turns into a four four
1: yeah exactly yeah, so I think tempo is underexplored. I think that flash is the way that we would pull it off in frontier, and yeah, that's the that's the archetype that I really want to kind of invite people to explore. Um, it might be a Jeskai deck. I don't know. We'll see.
0: I'm definitely interested in anything that has blue and red in it because that gets you Fevered Visions, which is such a powerful card right now that doesn't have very many homes. And would put you in such a favor against a lot of the slower decks in the format.
1: Yeah, you just keep getting gas. Yeah, I think Fevered Visions. Man, do you remember? Do you guys remember Jeskai Visions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think that's kind of a deck I want to reignite and see if it's still worth playing.
2: Yeah, I played it a little bit. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't amazing. It just the mana is really hard. It, yeah, wedge mana is
1: always like, a beating for
0: sure.
2: Yeah. But uh, speaking of fever visions, you're gonna love what I got. To, what I got here for you, Fank.
0: All right. Um, is there anything else that before we move on? Just is there anything else that you wanted to cover, Kevin? Actually, I do want to say one more thing. Is I know that Matt gave a little bit of kind of the negative to this deck, but why do you think this isn't being played more? Why do you think other people aren't exploring this archetype yet?
1: Um. So I think that people approach instant speed as being that's a control thing like I think that the two yeah exactly like I think that um a lot of people kind of have this dichotomy in their brain of like alright cool well I'm either gonna be the beatdown right and I'm going to be playing all my stuff on my turn and attacking for a lot um or I am the control and I'm going to be the one who leaves mana up and reacts um and so they go towards a deck that does one of those things particularly well whereas like playing a tempo deck requires you to be able to do both so mm-hmm. like it it's complicated and i think that's why people aren't drawn to it immediately because like they'd rather play it and especially do a lot of people who are like entering frontier at, in their first tournament and whatnot like taking on a tempo deck in a format where you have no idea what the metagame looks like is really difficult. And especially like having a deck that is both aggressive and reactive, you have to know okay. what you're responding to before you can actually respond to it. Well, cause the spell pierce that you're saving up for a dig through time, um, you know, is, is going to be pretty severely wasted when you're using it on, I don't know, like a lightning strike or something like that, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I okay. have another take on that. And it's that I think a lot of the bodies in the format, <clears throat> sorry, in, in these flash creatures aren't as good as just doing your value creatures, your standard value creatures, and just turning them sideways, right?
1: Okay, it's, so you're saying like the flash value creatures like a like a spell queller has a hard time picking a fight with an Yeah,
2: yeah, right. Like you're just what do you do when you're just against an Abzan deck and they just go turn one dork, turn two Thalia? Turn 3 Rhino. What do you What do? you do?
0: Mm-hmm. I get
1: what you're saying, yeah. For sure. i
2: kind of on the same line. I think that the raw
0: power... Th- that you kind of lose out on a little bit of raw power by going with some of these tempo creatures. So if I could just be playing Tireless Tracker and Gideon in my bent deck rather than playing something like Bounding Crises and I don't know, Ulamog's Dullify or whatever else we're thinking I'm for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Appreciate
2: I, I think a lot of the a lot of it has to do with also you have things like gearhawks which cost 6 mana which isn't always what you where you want to be uh, as the aggressive deck right in frontier i think you can get away with it a little more in in standard because the curve is just naturally uh, quite a bit higher but in frontier i think you're punished a lot more as the beatdown trying. yeah like, you're, not gonna, you're not going to you're not going to out gearhawk that control deck i think
1: yeah i get that for sure um, um
2: that said, I wanted to talk a little bit about your two drop. I was thinking okay. instead of running uh, Lambhole Pacifist, I think Duskwatch Recruiter would actually be really solid in that spot. <laughs> yeah,
1: Duskwatch because, Recruiter is really good.
2: Like it, kind of when you don't when they don't give you anything to react to, sometimes you'll just get to use its ability. And if not, um, the the flip side of it, right, it reduces the casting cost of your creatures. Mm-hmm. Plays really well into that tempo game,
1: right. I definitely agree with that. Um, Deskwatch Recruiter has been really powerful in some of my green deck testing lately, and I think I underrated it previously. Um, And, I mean, appropriate that we're talking about that in the uh, episode that's about generally underrating things. So, (laughs) yeah, I get you.
2: So one one flash deck that uh, did pretty well in Standard was Oketra's Monument. What do you think of that?
1: um so like blue white monument yeah i thought it was a really impressive deck honestly like it was able to get a lot of velocity and i i do think that 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 a lot of things in recent sets particularly in frontier have been overshadowed by the standouts um Hmm. so like i think that we kind of honed in on, okay, the Scarab God is a powerful thing that we can be doing. And in the meantime, like we've kind of overlooked like a lot of what would the power that was packed into that set. Right. So I don't know. I think, I think that there is a lot under the surface that can be checked out in recent, uh, in recent standard.
2: I I agree with that. And I've actually played a little bit of Oketra's monument in frontier. And Hmm. sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you spend your turn three casting a monument, and they untap, <laughs> yeah. and they call a gun's command it, and you're just like, oh, I guess I lose the game now. Yep. <laughs> but like other times, you're against like a blue-black control, and you sink it on turn three, and they're like, okay, I lose the game. They just they they can't answer it anymore. After right it's on the board, right, and it's mm-hmm. just a source of so much incremental card advantage, right? Um, like your nut draws are absolutely bonkers insane project. yeah yeah uh, the, you do kind of have the it, it sucks to take turn three off and it's not something i generally am ever like yes you can do this and that's okay right mm-hmm. um but i have to admit from having played it the upside is there and like I, I don't know if i would say it's a competitive deck but i can see i can see there being space there to explore especially in the future as we uh do get more of those kind of etb value creatures
1: which is bound to continue happening when you think about it and there are even like flash is an ability that like in dominaria like they've printed as like a sympathetic effect right like now for the first time in like a long time we're getting a card that says x that you play has flash which like the last mm-hmm. time that we got something like that I think was Leyline of Leyline of Anticipation um,
0: so um, I mean we had um, oh, oh wait uh, yeah VH? yeah yeah Rattle Chains
1: was a oh recently. I was
0: going to say okay yeah that, that's Rattle Chains that's specifically with Spirits but we had Prophet of Crufix.
1: yeah um, oh yeah Prophet of Crufix was one for sure yeah that's one I don't think of but yeah yeah um, I don't know right, where they want to go. Yeah, Profit of Crewfix was you can play creature spells on yep. other players' turns. Your stuff has flash, and um, you untap, you untap with everyone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 think I think it only continues to get. Bit. It's one of those things, right? Like it's kind of like Sahili combo, where like the more mm-hmm. that they print creatures that have enter the battlefield effects. effects the more powerful her effect becomes because it does that again. So, yeah.
0: Well, speaking of, have you guys tried Oketra's Monument with Sahili combo in it? Because I have. <laughs> it's not very good. <laughs> 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 but it is really like funny to like... use Dusk on to get back a Felidar Guardian and
2: cast it for three mana. I actually really like Dusk on I think it's seriously <laughs> underplayed. And it's it's part of why I actually do like Oketra's Monument. Mm-hmm. Um because you can get so much value out of it, especially if your whole game plan is just I'm not going to have anything that has power greater than two, and I'm not going to let you have anything that has power greater than two.
0: That's almost reason I'm looking at that new Dominaria spoiler, who's basically Archangel of tithes, but doesn't have three power.
2: That's actually something I've been thinking about too, and we'll talk about this in the. We'll bring that episode. up. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I think I think that is like a hidden power of that do we want to move on to your deck
0: matt uh i think you said you have something grixis for us
2: yeah surprise surprise that's <laughs> yeah. <Matt's>, matt wants <laughs> right. to talk about mid-range grixis
0: yeah and i think hey so give it a little we'll start off with earlier, man got me some slack all right all right well, we'll go harsh here why are you bringing this up again why do you think that it still has power <laughs> that we haven't discussed before <laughs>
2: So the main thing is I actually want to talk about it's a really underexplored space, right? So mm-hmm. I've, I've talked about uh, my thing in the ice deck on this podcast before. And I'm sure if if you're on the Untap Open League Discord, you've seen me talk about, you know, the variations of this deck in chat. And
0: if you play in Toronto, you've probably seen it played.
2: Yeah, yeah. If you, see, if you play in Toronto, you've seen it played for sure. Um, but I think there's just, there's a lot of room even kind of beyond the exploring that I've done. Mm-hmm. It's just a really wide open archetype. Um, and in particular, I think basically most of the threats line up really well into what's happening in the format right now, which is kind of what gives me, makes me say more people need to be looking at this. More people need to be exploring this archetype um, because you have things. like Yes. You have thing in the ice. Yes. You have Jace Friend's prodigy, um, but then you also have things like cryptic serpent, um, Which when you have a graveyard full of spells, you'll need five spells in the graveyard for this. It's just a two mana six five. Um and that's what in the format can attack into that? A two mana six five? Yeah. Um well It it's like the only creature that you can scare as an aggressive. See, I was gonna think that. Uh, i was going to true. say a two
0: mana five five Thalia lieutenant but
1: uh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that, yeah, that, that works too uh reflector mage is <laughs> one that I, okay so uh just to just to be fair uh recently i um and actually i should clarify i'm planning on running one of matt's uh grixis lists into the open this weekend purely mm-hmm. because i want to see how it does and I've been enjoying sort of like these control decks with different finishers um, in like this and other games. So um, I want to give it a run. And I'm kind of tired of playing Bant Humans, not because it's not a fun deck for me, but because like I don't want to be predictable and like, oh, okay, Kevin's entering the tournament. Guess it's going to be Bant Humans. So um, yeah, I want to, I want to like totally. Take a different approach to the format, and yeah, um, I, the the thing that I've found in testing, particularly the Cryptic Serpent deck, is that because you have um, a very small creature based base, first off, like if your opponent finds out what you're playing, then like you're an infinite obliteration away from loss. And <laughs> that's <laughs> like,
2: a stretch. That's a stretch.
1: Okay. It's,
2: it's hardly as soft to infinite obliteration as a lot of the older blue-black decks were. Um, it's not like you just get the Cryptic Serpent and you win, right? Because you have also Bedlam Reveler, you have Lily, and you have way more card advantage than everybody else.
1: Okay. Um, I didn't ever see a Lily when I played the list, so maybe I played an outdated version or something like that. But, um, oh,
2: shoot, actually, that list doesn't have Lily, you're right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is news to me, but uh, yeah, totally. I uh, Yeah, so that was my experience, was that if someone, like, uh, infinite obliterates, then, like, that can be a little rough. If someone Reflector Mage is your giant threat, then, like, that can be pretty rough because they're beating down on you for a turn or two. Um, so... Yeah, um, but I do think the deck's super-duper powerful, and, like, when it gets nut draws, it's just, like, you're going off. Like, it's insane. You're just like, oh, yeah, so I'll play a two-mana Bedlam Revler, discard these two lands, draw all gas... Kill your nerd. Attack you for fifteen. Do another six to your face. Like it's it's crazy. Like I I really like the swingy parts of the deck. And like when you want to talk about like feels powerful, like Matt's onto something with this. Like it's it's not just him bragging. Like it's it's really like the the cost reduction on these creatures is like an engine that really just grinds the deck into a strong strong finish.
2: I do actually think the thing in the ice list is quite a bit more power, well-rounded, but it does suffer into blue-black control, which is why I sent uh, uh, Sky the Bedlam Reveler cryptic list.
0: Hmm. Um, but I okay. kind
2: of want to move back into kind of unexplored space too, right? Because in, the, in these colors, you also have the Fatties, right? So you have Tassager, you have Gurmog Angler. Um, <clears throat> you also have things like Enigma Drake, um, which hmm. I have used in these colors to literally 21 someone off an empty board.
0: So that for people is the what? It's the X4.
2: X4 flying for three. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so and it's, it's power is equal to the number of instance and sorceries in your graveyard. Yeah, yeah.
1: The spiritual successor to
2: spell art chimera. hmm Um and basically just in these colors, you also have access to just all of the best removal in the format, and a lot of the best utility cards in the format. Like so like things like K command, Search for Escanta. Uh, collective hmm. brutality right treasure cruise. yeah
1: most definitely yeah it's really hard to knock on what Gris- grixis can do in this format just because it has removal for everything it's got giant beaters on the finish and it's got ways to interact with just about anything your opponent can do it's uh yeah it's it's really impressive and the card advantage engines are hard
2: to beat you also have things that just come out of the board a lot of the time too that aren't an option to all the like a lot of other decks like radiant flames or kalitas running volley i think the sideboard package that you can get out of especially black red is really strong in frontier hmm. uh, or even just fevered visions right so like in my thing in the ice list i run four fevered visions in the board to basically just say all right you lose control um yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so there's there's a lot of and sorry. right Backing up, I'm getting excited. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, you might want to clean up your drool a little bit, Matt.
2: (laughs) Most of the creatures we've also we've talked about uh, so far in these colors also turn on things like stubborn denial, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of them play really well with kind of graveyard synergies, um, which I is just kind of like a general space I feel like is underused in Frontier, um, where you can do a lot of you can get a lot of advantage out of pitching certain things and then kind of using them later I do
1: think that okay so we have this new card coming out in Dominaria um, and I know that I've mentioned it a couple times but like it's it's all over the news and you know um, it's it's worth mentioning so um, it's the three mana five four that can't be blocked by two drops sorry that can't, yeah, be, it can't be, dro-
0: be dropped by power two or less
1: right so, um, I'm actually really, really interested in, I, the reason I'm saying this is because you brought up, um, stubborn denial. And I think that's a super underutilized card in our format. Um, just because there, there are a lot of decks that I've noticed get out early four fours. And so like this being just another, like, I think that it's worth revisiting in a lot of cases. Because, especially because control is so pump, so strong right now.
2: Yeah, and like, here's the thing too, right? A lot of these creatures you get out, um, they're push-proof. A lot of them are grasp-proof. Uh, so control goes, okay, what do I do? Uh, mm-hmm. Vraska's Contempt, right? It's their, only, it's their only answer to these creatures. Hmm. And getting your Vraska's Contempt, Stubborn Denialed, sucks. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a blowout. I could look forward to some of that. That sounds good. All right, so well, yeah. you talked
0: a little bit about the deck. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you think it's still so unexplored despite you've been championing it a little bit? You haven't put a, quite the dedication as someone like Clayton who, you know, he had a deck that no one was talking about, just played it, played it, played it, one one and got people talking about it. But...
2: Uh, um, actually, one more thing I want to touch on before I do move on to that oh, yeah. is another big advantage in these colors is all the creatures, like, none of them cost, like, four mana or whatever, right? They're all mm-hmm. effectively, like, one or two drops. You know, in the case of Enigma Drake, it's a three drop, but whatever. That's that's one I haven't explored. Too
1: right, much. so that's your top end is, like, a, a three mana, zero, four.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? So instead of being, like, this Abzan list or whatever, where your creatures and, and your threats kind of top out around four mana and you need to run 24 land, you can go way lower to the ground with this. Um, which basically just means you need less land and you have more gas um, compared to a lot of other decks, right? So you're going to actually out-top deck a lot of the other decks in the format, right? When you're only having 21 land.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, to talk about what, what Fink had asked, uh, why cool. we're not seeing this in the format. Uh, I think the truth is is just we're, we're in a small format and I think the visibility on this deck is low, right? Um I'm not a huge fan of playing online, um, which has kind of limited my visibility in the Untap Open League itself. Mm-hmm. And we also just kind of have a narrow meta, right? Um, in a lot of kind of wider meta games, you're not going to see the dominance of control um, where we that we see on Untap Open League a lot, right? It'll be there. It's a strong deck. It's not going anywhere. Um, but kind of reliably your control players are going to make it to the top eight every league Um, and that that definitely has a shape on what people are playing and how they're gonna kind of fight into um, this control meta Um, and this is specifically a problem for grixis um, because i do think the thing in the ice version with uh, jay's friends prodigy Liliana, the last hope um, i I think they are quite a bit more well-rounded against the rest of the meta game um, where Cryptic Serpent and Bedlam Reveler does excel a little bit better into control.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so do you want to touch a little bit on why you think it is so unexplored as a deck? Like, What do you think is not powerful about it? Why people might be turned off the idea of playing something that... Is it high variance? Is it high skill cap?
2: Is just something that people you don't think people realize. So one thing I do have to say is like it takes a lot of reps to get good at the the archetype. Um, I think properly tuned decks tend to use the graveyard as well. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's kind of a small subset of aftermath cards and uh, delving. There's a lot of choices to make, um, which isn't it's not always obvious what the right choice is. And I think you can get punished fairly hard by making the wrong choice. Um, So I do think it is fairly skill intensive. And another thing I think is, I think a lot in our meta, we don't see people, you know, people don't shy away from a certain list or a certain archetype necessarily because it's bad or Mm -hmm. they don't like it or whatever. I think they tend to shy away from it necessarily because it's just, it's not... They haven't gotten there yet, you know? Frontier is a huge format and we're a small community, right? Which is kind of the purpose of this episode in general, to start talking about things that we think do need more exploration, that people do need to start thinking about a little more seriously, um, that they're not necessarily doing right now. Uh, Okay, so
0: hopefully what we'll see is that Kevin's going to put up some results this weekend for you you can maybe drop an updated list on Monday when this episode comes out. And uh, Kevin, I'd like to give kind of the same challenge to you is see if you can get maybe even two or three different Bant Flash lists, or not Bant Flash, any kind of Flash list together. It could be Teamer. It could be, I don't know, we were talking Esper. Put some kind of deck together and uh, let's get a list out for Monday when we drop this episode.
1: I think that one thing that I kind of want to do is something that I do in other games, which is Mm -hmm. I want to create a what i would call like a 120 list for okay. for flash right or we could do it for like grixis spells right
2: mm-hmm.
1: where it's like all right if i could run everything and everyone had to play the same number of of cards as me like this is the number of cards i would play right like i would have torrential gearhulk i would have Four colors, I would have four Avacins, like four dig through time, and then trim from that and kind of make a whole bunch of deck lists off of mm-hmm. that tree. That's, uh, that's definitely something that I want to do in, in uh, exploring an archetype.
0: I would say that's probably pretty similar to how you would build a deck for something like Brawl which you've kind of got a limited card pool, so you can take a Brawl deck be like, okay, I want to play the Just Guy Brawl spells deck, and you can take every single good spells card in those colors and then eventually trim that deck down. You're kind of going to do the same thing, but with four ofs, and then trim it down to 60 cards.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Um, Yeah, solid point.
0: All right, so I think I'm going to move on to my archetype. There's a lot that I might have liked to talk about. You know me, I'm I'm quite a brewer, but I think there's one that I think is really, really underseen and has just so much power that's not being utilized in Frontier.
1: And that and for me, is Five Color Sahili
0: combo. <laughs> oh, that's such a good deck. No, what I wanted to talk about is ramp. I think that true direct ramp decks are really just not being seen, and they're not seeing any play. And that there's so much power there, and we've been getting new cards, we've been getting new power. And we're still not seeing them be played. So the first thing that I would normally get asked is probably like, oh, if you want to, you know, play a turn four Eldrazi Titan, why don't you play Marvel? Marvel. And I think that the consistency, the consistency in the late game of Marvel, there's a lot of ways to answer Marvel, but it's really hard to stop someone from just playing a bunch of lands and dropping an Eldrazi Titan. And as far as the speed you can get a turn for Ulamog with decent consistency in... I mean, maybe not decent consistency, but probably not much less consistent than in a Marvel deck.
1: Okay, so tell me your dream hand. How do you do it?
0: All right, I'm Elvish Mystic. Okay. Some kind of land ramp on three, probably. Uh, Pilgrimage is usually the best one. That's on Nissa's Pilgrimage. Okay. Turn three, we've got Hour of... Shoot, um, which is the Hour Prince. I like... Hour of Promise, yes. So Hour of Promise gives so much power to the deck because there's so many good utility lands, especially if you're only in green. Mm-hmm. And then turn four, Ulamog. Yeah. Is that enough land? That's enough land. You go and you grab two Shrine of the uh, Forsaken oh, God. Okay. Right, right. And that's uh, that's
2: 10 mana. Yeah, fair enough. My experience with ramp is that it's... the Relying on the top end like that is fairly mm-hmm. inconsistent, which has been my main issue. But that said, like, there's something to be said for even a turn four World Breaker. Like that, mm-hmm. That's still a, a beater, you know? Like It's still really hard to deal with.
1: And you're destroying one of their lands if they haven't created a board state or given you something else to interact with. That's usually what World goes for. So, yeah. Um, I, I do think... So, I, I have the similar experience, and I'll, I'll just give you a scenario that I run into with ramp decks that I play around with. Um, in this format in particular is you get a hand that is only ramp and then you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you never draw your finisher, right? And the, the opposite scenario is so much more frightening where it's just <laughs> like, all right, well, I can't keep my opening seven because I had three Ulamogs and a Worldbreaker and a land and, like, one Land of War Elves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, like, you mull down to six and it's like, all right, well, this one has no lands, so I can't even mess around with this. Like, you know, like, you get so much less, like, fruitful hands. Like.
0: So I think that's a little bit where the utility lands come into play, and I think that's a reason why I'd like to see less colors. I'd like to see either just a mono green or maybe a mono green splash red. Things like Architore they've gotten recently, or I've always liked the... Um, what is the one that lets you discard? It's a legendary land.
2: Uh, Gear Reach Sanitarium?
0: Yeah, Gear I Reach Sanitarium. You can find that with something like the Hour of Promise, or they used to have Sylvan Scrying in some of these decks main deck and you know you get those utility lands and you can just draw up out of those situations where you don't have any of the top end so then you can kind of play less top end make your deck a lot more streamlined that way uh, i think the shrine, the what is it ugun sanctum also helps with that quite a bit
1: so what do you think about sorry that was a weird snort thingy um, what do you think about the lands deck that's been floating around in standard right now the one that actually does play Arch of Arazca, an hour of promise and kind of stalls out with zombies and um, then like lands an approach do you think that is uh, like a viable not to say not to be redundant here but do you think that's a viable approach to the
0: archetype I think possibly I think that approach is a little bit more accessible for a lot of decks in frontier to deal with because of things like transgress the mind because of cards like lost legacy possibly hitting it and simply just the counter spells of the control decks being better at stopping that whereas the fact that we've got now carnage tyrant is eventuality against any kind of control deck there's just so much difficulty for them to answer that card specifically
1: Sure, sure. I don't disagree that being in a ramp deck is really, really good into a control metagame. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that, okay, so, like, if you compare this to modern, right, and I'm no modern expert, but for the longest, longest time, the deck to beat was Grixis Death's Shadow, like, which played as a control deck that was also a mid-range deck that was also a combo deck, but primarily it was, like, a controlling mid-range deck, right? Okay. Um, I
2: think it was it was on, honestly on the aggro side of, of that uh, sliding sliding scale, to be honest.
0: Yeah, in the modern way where everything kind of has to be a little bit aggressive.
1: All right, so it was an aggro deck that played thought season stubborn denial. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, getting down to it, uh, the deck that was really, really, really good at beating that deck was scapeshift, which was a ramp deck. Right? Like, they just had no way to stop, like, the snowball of, all right, I'm going to get, like, a million ballot cuts, And that's, like, when I think about, like, the multiple successful archetypes of, like, ramp throughout history, they've involved cards like Primeval Titan, which both lends to the ramping of the deck and also is a powerful finisher. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know if I see, like, basically, like, the connection of reward and working toward it always happening with ramp, right? Like, it's it, it relies on its sequence happening perfectly. Whereas, like, if we compare that to an aggro deck like Bant Humans, like, if I play my Thalia's Lieutenant and follow it with a Thraven Inspector... It's not as good, but it's still pretty good. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that that's that's a fine sequence if I top decked my Thraven Inspector. So like
0: Sure, I think the category where I'd want to put ramp is in the category of other combo decks in the format. I think that if we're looking at it compared to Marvel, compared to Sahili, compared to Jund Emercole, that it kind of fits in that same category of it it needs some things to line up right but it has a lot of power once it does that. And it has the speed to keep up with the format, I think. Okay.
1: For... How does it, how does it maintain speed? So if it's a combo deck, it has to have defensive speed.
0: So there's a lot of kind of the mid range creatures now is one option there. I think that some of the life gain options in green are very powerful and you could also run sweepers. I think that some of the red sweepers are quite strong. I mean, Running Kozilek's turn looks good against a lot of Dax, and then getting it back helps you clean up the board, catch up if you're in that bad position. All right, so, so let's say that
1: your hand is... Sorry, you can go ahead, Matt. I've, I've, I've been doing a lot of the grilling here.
2: <laughs> so I actually think that into the meta we have right now, ramp seems pretty decent, right? I think you're going to have a good control matchup, and I think you're going to have at least a decent matchup against a lot of the decks that are slowing down to try and outgrind mm-hmm. control, right? So like all these Abzan lists that are bringing in, um, you know, like just four tireless trackers in the main and all this grind, right? Exactly, um, yeah. They're, they're sacrificing speed for the ability to fight control. So if you're bringing into this this ramp list, I think most of the time you've got a decent shot of just going off before they kill you, right? Whereas if we were seeing um, kind of faster aggro lists in the format, a lot of people were actually playing a Tarkar Red... I'd be mm-hmm. really scared to bring a straight ramp list um, to, to to the untap open league, but we're really not seeing a lot of a target red, right? It, it, it's yeah, I mean, really... see, I
0: I almost said white aggro as one of my options for something that's underutilized right
2: now,
1: <laughs> right? I kind like of agreed with that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's just a to do with the shape of the meta too, though, right? Whereas like control to me, or not control, a uh, ramp to me seems decently positioned into into the meta game we see on the untap open league which I think makes it a pretty solid, solid pick. Um, I don't know if this is diverging too much, but one interesting uh, kind of build I've been playing with as far as ramp goes um, is basically just using all of your kind of value creatures to just kind of incidentally ramp, right? So that that way you're kind of undercutting your need to, or your, your weakness to those aggro decks, right? So if I can go, Turn one, land War Elf or Elvish Mystic. Turn two, Wayward Swordtooth, Double Land. Mm-hmm. Turn three... for Renegade Rallyer maybe would fit that same role. Yeah, Renegade Rallier is... Renegade Rallier is well. definitely...
1: So you're talking about Green White Swordtooth.
2: Um, exactly, exactly. Where you basically just ramp through your value creatures. You try to land a Tireless Tracker to just grind out insane card advantage. And then you top end with... Uh, I originally had envisioned top ending with uh, World Breakers. Um, hmm. But I've since been top ending with Carnage Tyrant, just in the main board. Uh, and it's pretty savage. Um, the, the particular archetype needs some work, but I do think there's it's kind of that same line of thinking, right? Where big mana goes really well into control.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's generally the point, is that it's good into control, it's good into those slowing down decks. And yeah, it would be bad if we had a lot more kind of of that aggressive features that we saw at some points. So maybe we'll see how much Dominarius shakes things up.
2: I do think I do think the land or the the land value dudes, right? So when you're playing all these dudes, Mm -hmm. you're not as soft into aggro So there is there is that element. Yeah, I think there's a a list there somewhere.
0: Like Sylvan Advocate fits in that
2: same range. Exactly.
0: exactly. Sylvan Advocate's good. Um, I think that
1: Duskwatch Recruiter is kind of underrated, just because having the inability to use all that land um, for card advantage is really really good. Um, obviously, Tireless Tracker does it too, but like, yeah, does
2: I recruiters. Run, I also tend to run Warden of the First Tree. Um, hmm, As like an early game defender. Me just, too. I get to pump up way faster than my enemies are going to be able to deal with, right? Yeah, Warden it's of the First of like Tree is kind
1: policy. of rude in a, like... Warden of the First Tree in a ramp deck is like, all right, well it was a one drop on turn one, but now I'm gonna play it as an eight drop.
2: So <laughs> it just gives you options. Yeah. I is. don't know that it's it's uh, amazing, but it, it gives you options and I think I think it kind of fits into the general theme. I think there's a list there. I haven't found it myself yet. But I Same. think there I, is I also there. think
0: it's something that's worth exploring, and there's a lot of ways it can
2: go. Yeah, yeah. And that's what this episode's all about. Just like what, what do we think needs to be explored more?
0: Hey, that's the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, cool. Do you want to start to move cool. into
0: some current events and uh, things going on? Because, you know, you already mentioned about this weekend a little bit. Let's do it. Uh, so as well, actually, I guess this episode is going to come out just after the both the got of Frontier on the 11th and oh, no, that's next week. What am I talking about? So God of Frontier is next week. So if you guys are listening to this and you're in Japan, go to the God of Frontier tournament. Uh it's on the Sunday eighth, I believe.
1: Finkel. Do you want to do you want to make a recommendation for a deck for the God of Frontier?
0: Um, hmm. I mean I would have to think specifically about the Japan meta. I would just be like, oh, bring, bring jet Sky Flyers. I can't lose in Japan. But, uh, <laughs> I haven't thought about it enough. I might say I would say go aggressive. I would say I would go say White Weenie. Go I would, white I would actually weenie go with that Japan. Go White Weenie. White Weenie into sounds like a great suggestion.
2: Into Japan, I would 100% bring Abzan Agro. That's also and a very fair one. We haven't not seen a, it more in Japan. You, you not missed us last version? episode,
0: but we, uh, we brought up that Abzan Agro
2: has shown up a little bit more now there. That's good. I've always felt it was underplayed in Japan. It, it, I don't think it's as popular there, so mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting to see the regional popularities. but but I do think Abzan Agra would give most of Japan a good run for its money.
0: Okay, but what is this weekend that we're going to have just after this this podcast will be releasing just after the open that we're holding online here. so that that'll be exciting. We'll have some news from that in the next episode probably. We also, in a couple weeks, we're going to be having an episode about our favorite thing, new set, Dominaria Spoilers. We've been trying not to talk about them too much, because we're going to have a whole episode on that. But that's about it for uh, this week. Um, if you guys want to contact us, you know our information, MTG Frontier on Instagram, uh, MTG Frontier on Twitter, and of course our new website, MTGfrontier.net. Plus you can reach Sky, Kevin, at his uh, Twitter, what is it?
1: At Sky Burial.
0: Yep. And you can also reach Matt at CyTurkey1. All right. Thanks, guys. I know we want to have any kind of communication you guys want to tell us. Anything you guys want us to talk about, we're always happy to go on.
2: Anything I just wanted we'll- to say, I think you're really handsome, Fink. That's, <laughs> that's <awesome. laughs> and I And I just want the world to know. All right. Well, I'm going to go
0: eat some tacos with my wife. You guys have a great night. Way to ruin the moment.
1: <laughs> I know, right? He's like, you're like, you're pretty. And he's like, hey, I'm going to shove some talkers down my gullet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, congratulations again, Matt. We, uh, we're we glad to hear about your job. That's uh, great news. And good luck for you, Kevin.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I hope everything pans out well.
0: And for our listeners out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for frontier information online. Your final frontier, signing off for tonight.